Hey Changemakers, welcome to another episode of the Sacred Changemakers podcast. My name is Jane Warlow and I have another great guest lined up for you today. Now this podcast is about change and transformation, but not just any old change. We believe in change for good, which lies at the intersection of three things, personal, professional, and social transformation. So come with us on a journey as we go behind the scenes with people who are making a real difference in our world. Each episode, we'll be diving deeply into topics at the intersection. Sometimes we'll be interviewing thought leaders, sharing tools and resources, and sometimes we'll be leading deep dive conversations, tackling the challenging issues of our times. Now, before I introduce today's guest, I have one request. Would you be willing to go to iTunes or whatever app you're listening to, subscribe and leave a rating and review? It's actually really helpful for us because it just enables the algorithms to find us, helps people find our community, and it helps our guests get their messages out to more people. Now, it's a small thing, but it would mean so much to us. So thank you. Now, let me ask you. Are you ready to be inspired? Because our guest on the podcast this week is Katriona Reed. Now, Katriona has been coaching evolutionary leaders for change, leading professional workshops and spiritual retreats, and working privately with individuals for over 30 years now. Her clients understand that true success is an inside job, and she is currently training with indigenous teachers in the Colombian Amazon. She has been described as multi-talented, a captivating speaker, and an unforgettable treat. And I can concur, which is why I am so thrilled to introduce her to you. Welcome, Katriona. Hi, Jane. Thank you. Welcome yourself. It's such a, it's such a, great, um, a great pleasure to speak with you. Thank oh. you. I know. We have the best conversations. We We totally do. We do indeed. And we've often said we should record them. So I'm really excited about this. But, you know, our listeners don't know you. And, you know, we've got a little sense of you from the bio, but I'd love you to give us maybe a few insights of the real life human that lies behind the bio. Yeah. Well, first I'll say I'm not currently in the Colombian Amazon. Because everything is on lockdown at this moment when we speak, in particularly countries in South America, they, their borders are closed. Um, so I, uh, I became very drawn to Buddhist practice as a teenager, and it's been a weave and a thread throughout um, my and my partner's life and work together. Um, and yet, even there, we've been somewhat on the outside of things. So it's been, even though we are still defined as Buddhist teachers, it's not a definition we, we really use for ourselves. It's, it's very much part of the tapestry, but it's not a primary identification. And, and I think the way I can speak about that now at this moment is we have uh, indigenous teachers. We're working with a number of different indigenous teachers from different traditions. And my understanding that the work, uh, be it the work of Buddhism or the work of business or any valuable work in the world, has to do in some way with really reclaiming what I think of as our natural indigenous soul, which means to be connected to place and our place being the planet. So much of the time, for so many of us, we live in 
urban environments that preclude that sense of connection. Uh, of course, we're fortunate in that we live at our retreat center surrounded by actually tens of thousands of acres of national forest. So we interface daily with the natural world, with plants, birds, animals, and I want to say spirits, the spirits of the ancestors of this land. And it's become very real for us. And it's become a very real check uh, in our work <clears throat> to see if we're really real, really, really connected um, internally and externally. And then the last thing I'd like to say in answer to your question, I am a woman of transgendered experience, which means that more than two decades ago, I stopped presenting to the world my male persona and became technically, functionally, legally um, a woman, but not really a woman because I, I grew up as a boy child. I was socialized as a boy. So I, I straddled two worlds, um, you could say, in traditional cultures. People like myself are known as two-spirit for what that's worth. And it was, of course, it was a challenge. It was very hard. It was um, not something I would recommend uh, as something you do by choice. Um, I was called to an authenticity that was deeper than than the kind of authenticity I was feeling willing at the time to present to the world. And yet the call was so strong that I found in the end, I had no choice. And of course, like so many things that challenge us, whether it's <clears throat> the failure of a business, the failure of your health, the failure of a marriage, um, that seemed uh, almost or potentially life-threatening, it was the very best thing that could have happened. Um, and so I'm very grateful, even though it has perhaps uh, excluded me from certain arenas, um, it has included me in others where I feel perhaps more than I ever could have otherwise entirely at home. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, as you were talking there, I, I just got this sense, and of course this is true for all of us, of how unique our, our paths are through the world. But yours seems to really embrace some very different perspectives than, I suppose I could say what we normally do, but I mean, what is normal anyway? And I'm just really curious, Katriona, about, you know, your path along the way mm -hmm. that has brought you to where you are today. I mean, how do you make sense of that? Yeah. Um, it hasn't always made sense. It makes sense now because uh, I've learned after all these years and decades to drop into a deeper sense of trust. <clears throat> And trust means trusting in my, or the intrinsic values that have developed over time, uh, trusting in the sense of being connected. You know, in Buddhism and in yoga too, for that matter, there's a word that's used, dharma. It's a simple word, it just means um, a truth a path, means many things, uh, or it's used in a way that implies many things. A path, a truth, um, 
an expression or the experience of reality in, in some deeper than normal way, trusting the Dharma, trusting the unfolding of things, trusting the innate truth of impermanence, the innate truth of interconnectedness. And so fortunate over the years in the teachers who have presented themselves to, to us, to my partner and I, because for 40 years we've, we've walked a very parallel path in our work together as teachers and in our work together as human beings. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's that evolving sense of trust. Mm. And, and now it's, of course, enhanced by this very powerful work we do with sacred plant medicine, um, which uh, is, it takes no prisoners. <laughs> it's um, so humbling. Uh, it's, it so tests you. It's very hard medicine, as is the Buddha Dharma. Um, mm. They're both death practices in that they force you to face your mortality on a regular basis. Um, you're going to die. It yeah. doesn't matter what kind of business empire you build. It doesn't mean anything in, in the final picture of things. Um, not that it isn't a worthy path to pursue if you're called to do that in service to others. Um, but it doesn't have in itself an innate, an innate value. And you and I are talking and have encountered each other in the context of business. Um, business is, is just a way of doing commerce. And we've forgotten in that, in that path, I'm digressing now to another subject, but let me say this, um, when we talk about reclaiming our indigenous soul, part of our work in the world in reclaiming that indigenous soul is to look to a different form of economy, more of an exchange economy, economy more of a, an economy, a win-win economy, rather than a competitive economy when you seek to gain more than anybody and beat your competitors. Um, and of course, we, we all know that that doesn't really work. It leads to, to stress and misfortune for others that you might compete with. But there's something else that comes from an, a natural anarchistic, if you, call, if you like, uh, mutual aid kind of economy or a, um, an exchange economy. And it's interesting that in this time of uh, epidemic, more and more people seem to be called to that sort of understanding of how commerce, business might, might work better for the benefit of all. Mm. Yes. And, um, you know, just listening to you give voice to some of these things is, um, it's just really humbling for me to, to listen to you and, <laughs> and your kind of your path to, and I'm going to project a little bit here because I'm actually, it's a question, but you know, our title reclaiming our indigenous soul, it sounds like that's something, a path that you've been on, maybe not intentionally, but it sounds like something that has been a thread throughout mm. your life and as you talk then about the economy right so you're as an individual there reclaiming your indigenous soul but i can't help but think it's like we've lost our collective soul 
in the economy. You know, we've forgotten things. And so I'd love you to speak to that in a way like your own individual path to reclaiming your indigenous soul and then how that contributes or impacts the whole in a way. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, Two things come to mind. And, and one is the value of humility. Um, and, I, and I look to some of the teachers that I've known in recent years, indigenous people and non-indigenous people who've worked for themselves for many years in, in the context of indigenous practices. And it's there in Buddhism too, that sense of not knowing, that sense of being always a beginner, being, being humble. Um, and I think, yes, I've, I've had that sense. I've had that sense. I think I mentioned earlier, early on in my exploration of Buddhism, I, I was very inspired by Gary Snyder, who, uh, who, who wrote, as I said, that the Buddha in some ways was trying to reclaim 25 centuries ago, reclaim a sense of connection to indigenous practice, to our, our collective Paleolithic roots. And we have in the dominant culture this notion of progress, like everything new is better than everything old. And I don't actually think that that's true at all. Um, there are some good things, though many wonderful, um, great things that come out of the logical mind, the, 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 the dominant worldview of the logical science, scientism, even though it's in its turn become a kind of fundamentalism. I think there are many gifts that that brings. But uh, in, in doing that, as you say, we have lost our collective soul. Um, the industrial growth society with the, the idea of perpetual economic growth and expansion, is, it's illogical, it's unsustainable. The, the planet is finite. And although the planet provides this incredible abundance, this unimaginable abundance, um, there, are, there are finite limits to how much we can dump, how much of our waste we can dump in it, on it, through it. Um, and it, it bewilders me, um, that just the lack of attention that prevails in the political and economic sphere. So yeah, it has been a theme all my life. When I became a deep ecologist at the age of nine, realizing, as it was pointed out to me, that a, uh, a greenfinch in England was much rarer now than it had been a generation before in, in the time of the person who pointed out to me and it hit me like a ton of bricks oh my god things are changing and not for the better mm-hmm. and ever since i felt that i felt both the sorrow and the grief of it and the call to take a stand in some way and to um, and to settle as we did on this land and to pay attention and to bring people here to this land to help them learn to pay attention in the way that we are continuing to learn yeah yeah and you know you say there about taking a stand so what can you give us a bit more of a sense of what that stand is that you're taking with the land um i think it has many levels on the most intimate and personal level it, it requires patience and humility, and for want of a better word, I'll call it prayer. Um, 
you know, indigenous people talk about human beings as being very young, not at the apex of the, the Aristotelian classical enlightenment pyramid with everything else spread out beneath them, but uh, human beings being very young and immature and how much we have to learn from plants and animals, plants who with such generosity, just from light and water, um, produce all these gifts of medicine and food. And to just place ourselves in that position of being willing to learn, uh, not assuming these are dumb animals and unconscious plants, um, to assume they are at least as conscious as we are in their own way, obviously not with self-organizing consciousness that, that we have in the particular human form, but in other ways that we haven't been attentive enough to, to know and to understand. So I think that's the first, that's the first piece that answers your question. Um, the second, most obviously, is to um, tread as lightly as, as possible in our consumption of, um, of the items that the industrial growth society offers us, and it's impossible. I mean, I sit before my computer speaking with you now. Um, I ordered from Amazon food supplements just an hour ago that help us stay healthy in this time. How do we do it? We drive a car. Um, only a few months ago, six months ago, we flew back from, from Europe where we've been doing a, a training in, in systemic constellation work. How, how, to, how to return? I don't, I don't know. I mean, we may, the, the current health and economic crisis may force us all to be much more self-sufficient on the land to grow food. I think everybody should be growing at least a little bit of food, even if they live in the city, um, taking a stand. Perhaps taking a stand, it means just keeping this in the forefront of awareness, mm. that this too shall pass, that all the important things that I imagine I'm doing aren't really important at all until we place it in the context of of repaying the, the debt, repaying the gift that, that life has given us to sustain a life, um, to be satisfied with enough, um, whatever enough is, rather than imagining that more and more can give you um, something you don't have. More and more is based on a, a mindset of lack, an economy of lack, constant growth mm. and Clearly, it, it, it's not sustainable. It's leading to the end of all of us. Yeah. A million species are now currently threatened. <laughs> a million species that have supported us on our journey for a billion years and more of life on, on dry land. It's, uh, it's unthinkable. Mm. So take a stand, if only by thinking these thoughts, by reflecting, by weeping. Grieving, too, I think is another important piece in this and we've forgotten to grieve instead of yeah. grieving we go out for more because grieving uh triggers that sense of lack that painful sense of lack and i think if we all fall down onto the earth and weep like babies for five minutes <laughs> that would help a lot yeah and there's something about that when you speak to that and give voice to it katriona that kind of just feels visceral to me mm, that that mm. sadness that's you know just kind of underneath the surface and I feel it within me as well that grief mm, that I keep yeah. 
ignoring and pushing down because you know I've got things to do I can't turn and face that but if we were able to like turn and face it I've no if I did I've no doubt I would break down yeah and just weep on the floor because so many emotions like running through my environment right now running through me as well and somehow I just feel the pain of the world Mm. in some way that I don't believe I've ever felt in the way that I am right now and yeah. uh, it's it's heavy stuff <laughs> it really yeah. is yeah and, and my prayer is that this lockdown we're now I think at week 10 in the United States is an opportunity I mean it's many things and many people are are really suffering hardship um, and at the same time for many others whose hardship is to be on lockdown and not to be able to engage in the external activities they're used to engaging in. The gift and the opportunity is time to reflect, to time, time to stop the, the usual activities that distract us and, and to just be, just to be present. I think I've said that a lot, to be present, to pay attention. And I, and I think that's the key. I think that's the key to your earlier question about how to take a stand. It's to stop doing and and be more be with the expansive awareness that allows you to be present to what surrounds you because even in the city there are trees there are birds the concrete itself is made of of gypsum and river sand you know nothing is not part of the natural world it's just reformatted to to look different so it doesn't matter where you live we're all there we are our bodies our nature um and, and i think taking a stand is uh is to remember that we ourselves are nature. It's not something outside ourselves. That feels really important to me because, you know, in some of the work that I do with leaders in concrete buildings, in concrete cities, you know, I think it's really easy to forget the interconnections with things. And when I look at leadership behaviors and, you know, the economy and, you know, not really to judge, but I guess in a way, if I'm realistic, I am, which is that, um, you know, if we could just remember the interconnectivity, if we could use leadership as a dance between the individual and the collective, and we understood the impact, I think we'd be making very different decisions. I really do. Uh, Absolutely. And I think it really calls for a change of values yeah um, when you when you um, if you work with with a traditional indigenous teacher you just shut up and you sit down and you watch for two three four ten years you, you don't mm-hmm. contribute until you're asked and that's so alien to to us mm-hmm. and particularly in, in the world of business and particularly in the world of entrepreneurship where you take a an eight-week training or a weekend intensive and suddenly you become an expert and are encouraged to call yourself an expert and we forget that to really become immersed in a skill that is useful to you and useful to other people it takes a long time it takes work it takes sure you can you can garner the information in a very short period of time but to really absorb it uh, it takes a long long time and sometimes i think you know, business as it's done in North America in particular and in the, the entrepreneurial sphere in general um, is very much about selling a kind of enthusiasm um, that allows you to put aside uh, 
all the traditional values of mentorship, of, of, um, of patience, of humility, and of really absorbing skills and disciplines and care for your customers, care for those who support you by believing in you. And if all you're doing is selling your enthusiasm, that's a false promise because you, you, you can sell enthusiasm and it can be accepted and, you know, fork over your money and you can feel enthusiastic for a bit, but what, what good is that in the end? Um, and so the premise, I think, is, is um, it's a false economy. It's not a, a truly sharing, sharing economy. Mm. I um, think that's true. And, you yeah. know, one of the things I notice when you say false economy is it kind of produces false leadership as well, because mm. people have to show up and align with the, the organization that they work for and who they think they should be. Yes. And and that in itself takes us away from our core, away from yeah. our truth, away from our own souls, because we're trying. We're yeah. trying to be who we think we should be in the world. Yeah. But yeah. one thing you said there, Katrina, really struck me. You said when you're with an indi indigenous teacher, you just sit and listen for years. And yeah. that struck me straight away, because one of the things I think about in my work in the world is we've kind of forgotten how to dialogue. There's yeah. so much of a masculine framework, a patriarchy that we're yeah. used to trying to be confident and speak our, speak our voice up and be heard and all those things and get our seat at the table. But if we were to learn that listening, right? Listening deeply yeah. to what's going on internally and what's going on externally that feels much more receptive that yeah. and if i dare say that feels to me like more feminine energy that could bring such balance to the world yeah i have a couple of thoughts on that yeah. um first of all i don't think it's masculine or feminine i think that yeah. that men have been put under so much pressure um since the time of the industrial revolution before that the time in europe of enclosures so it goes yeah. back four or five hundred years and that it's not inherently masculine or feminine it's become it, it seems yes. to be the difference between masculine and feminine values because men have been um uh, castrated in some way right. to to be forced to be breadwinners in, in a certain fashion so that my, that's my first thought and my second thought is that of course if there are business owners listening to this you can't afford to sit down for 10 years and listen to <laughs> your mentor but what you can afford to do is to sit down for 10 20 30 years and really uh listen to your to your customers or your clients mm. to really um develop a relationship that is not about you being the expert you being the one with the product to sell but again, to bring a certain humility to that relationship so that it is a real relationship rather than that power over, you know, post-industrial revolution type of relationship. So, yeah, those are my two thoughts in what, in what you say. And I, yeah. I love that you brought that, that, um, that perspective because I was reading something recently and uh, just talking about the point at which we kind of, 
dissected masculine from feminine in the world mm. way yeah. back in the 16th century and and before that even before before we ever got to like the renaissance or anything men and yeah. women were not really seen as polar opposites masculine and feminine right. energy was not there so i love that you spoke to that because yeah. i of course being female think about well the fact that you know the the feminine energy was like burnt at the stake for 300 yeah, years absolutely, absolutely so you know and, and, and is still and is still burnt <laughs> right, at the stake right. yeah but you've got this wonderful perspective katriona that you have an experience of both you're one of those rare souls in the world that mm -hmm. has experienced both and i so i want to ask you like how hopeful are you and i know you don't so it's probably an, an, an eth, I can't even say the word. It's probably a nonsensical question this to ask you, because I think I already have a sense from what you've said. <laughs> but um, like one of my things that I hope for um, is that, you know, we go beyond the gender conversation and a little bit like Rumi says, out beyond the field of right and wrong, there is a field on right. there. Right. Like, do you are you hopeful for an integration for a more balanced view and i'm talking systemically now i'm not really talking about an individual perspective oh my first thought is that hope is always false oh really <laughs> that hope that hope is a hope is a trap that we get that it's not hope that it's possibilities uh, that we can't know yet oh. Um, who'd have thought that, that the whole world would be on lockdown uh, yeah. for 10 weeks? Uh, I mean, it's a wish come true in, in some ways, um, you know, despite the, the huge um, suffering of, of, of death. And, but who knows what's really going on because it also at the same time looks like a, a dreadful experiment in social engineering. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> so all that aside, do I have hope? Yes, I, I, I feel... Um, I feel perhaps more and more people, I think it's still a tiny amount, certainly in, 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 in my observation, a tiny proportion of people are becoming more aware in ways that they might not have been before, uh, generation by generation. I think, um, the problems that we face in, in terms of climate disruption, in terms of extinction and loss of habitat, are so huge. Um, the, the, the hope I have, or the ideas that I attach to possible hope, are, are really quite scary scenarios in terms of population loss. Um, I don't think it has to be that way, but I think it it's quite possible it will be that way through pandemics, through infertility on a vast scale, which we're already experiencing more and more. Um, I think what gives me hope is the resilience and the abundance of the earth, of the universe, of the, the spirit, call it, of the ancestors that seem in my world, mm -hmm. in my heart, to, to pervade. Uh, if we are just open to to that influence, which I know most people aren't, it's not even in their frame of reference. The idea of the spirits of our ancestors—it's just—it's it's, you know, lock her up. You know what she's talking about. This doesn't make sense to me. But that's what 
gives me a sense of stability. I won't call it hope, but a sense of that there's something on track. And I feel the best medicines, and I'm not talking about pharmaceuticals here, I'm talking about true medicines, um, whether they're things you take through your mouth or things that happen to you through your spiritual practice or your business practice, or it's all spiritual practice. But the best medicines are um, very, very painful, are very, um, are authentically challenging. And so perhaps my hope also comes from the fact that, that this CV-19 is the, the beginning of a, of a global reevaluation of what we can do to change our ways. I don't even know what that could look like or mean. Um, it looks like air travel, it's intercontinental air travel might be a thing of the past. I don't know. Is that a good thing? I don't know. In some respects it is. Right. And you know, I'm, as, as you're talking through this, you know, f for me, hope is, is nothing more really than a, holding space for an opening that's what it feels yeah. like to me yeah possibility uh, yeah. yeah and you know you said right at the very beginning of our conversation today about the call um to mm. to move mm. into transgender for yourself which was oh. and you, and you actually said i like i i felt the call it was hard and i had no choice mm. and as you were speaking then that was kind of echoing in my mind and I was also thinking gosh if if this time is the trauma that you know many of us are experiencing right now if this is the threshold of change if this is the point at which we are to go into deeper reflection and I've heard and I can't for the life of me remember who said it somebody called it recently a species defining moment <laughs> this now. Yeah. and I thought oh I like that but if that is what I wanted to ask you was what is the things do you think if we are reclaiming our indigenous soul what is the things that are happening anyway that are emerging anyway that we have no choice about even though we might like to think we have <laughs> yeah well uh, what pops into my mind first of all is we, we can't assume that we can just get what we want Right. That, that again is humility to receive what's given to us and that's scary i mean we're used to going to the market and finding things on the shelves that we want um and that that doesn't exist i remember early on in this lockdown i was waiting in line at trader joe's and i was standing next to a russian woman who said this is nothing to me nothing new to me you know <laughs> we've been on rations <laughs> forever um so i think it's particularly true uh in north america and to a certain degree in europe that uh, the the species defining moment means that we, we can't we can't live with the same kind of entitlement that we can just have whatever we want new model of a of a cell phone comes out with phenomenally new capacity and power a big deal you know be satisfied with a landline be satisfied with a notebook and pen um be satisfied with having nothing to do or, or amuse yourself with for a half a day or a day and and to to be satisfied with less um because we're so driven again by that sense of lack that we're made to be unconscious of the grief of the joy 
uh, because the two are very interconnected. Grief and joy are two sides of the same book. Yeah, same same um, coin, and and along with joy, a, a sense of praise for what is, for what remains. Grief is just the flip side of, of praise too. Um, grief is praising what is lost, and praise is grieving for what you know will be lost at some point, through the natural natural cycle of life and death, of all things. So yeah, yeah. I, I like that. I, I heard that too, that species defining moment. I, I, I pray for that. I, I pray that it be so and not just a blip. And oh, now we can go back to life as normal business as usual. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's kind of not lost on me that, you know, holding these different values and, you know, just if somebody's listening to this and is thinking, okay, right, I, I get it. I get it. And yet I live in this world that I live in and I go to work in this organization, you know, that I do that values other things. And maybe mm. they even have relationships with people that value other things. And yeah. yet there's someone who is interested. Maybe there's a small opening for reclaiming their yeah. indigenous soul. I mean, what, what, I hate to use the word advice, but what wisdom can you share oh. with them? <laughs> well, you, you might not be able to change your, career path or even your your current job situation but you can choose your friends and you you can um because i i've become very clear of late that i i just don't want to have conversations with with certain kinds of people who don't whose conversation doesn't feed me either they're caught in political polarization regardless of what side they're on or um they're caught in their their logical thinking and they're not willing to really bear their bear their souls to themselves or for whatever reason um they don't share um the the same values that that i have and i and i think you know my advice would be to take take courage and um fire some of your friends if it doesn't serve you if it doesn't serve your soul and um and it sounds harsh and sometimes it feels harsh and and sometimes the friends you fire will tell you you are harsh and of course you don't fire them like you're fired um you you find a skillful and a rapport laden way to do it but i i think that would be the first thing it's something within everyone's range to do I, unfortunately you can't fire your family uh, in this as easily as you can fire your friends but even there i, I think it's important to to distance yourself from family members who who don't uh, feed you energetically spiritually emotionally mm. so i think that's the first thing that comes to mind and then after that perhaps to reconsider what you really want to do for a living um, and that's harder you know we we, we are all wage slaves we don't want to think ourselves as such, but we all work in in one way or another for the great Caesar, the Pharaoh, who, whoever it is who who determines financially or politically the the unfolding of things. We we all work for um, Mobile Exxon, Mobile or Coca Cola, or I don't want to demonize any particular corporation, but just think of whatever corporation in your own mind is 
most demonic. We all work for them in one way or another. We're all beholden to them in some way. Um, we've, we've fallen hook, line, and sinker for the bait uh, that feeds our sense of lack. And we aren't very self-sufficient. So think through, just as you fire your friends, think through the friends you can find who support you in a worldview that sees you as unique and beautiful and powerful, not in the sense of power over others, but power through the spirit of, of, um, of what the world calls forth from you to become. That's beautifully said. So I do want to ask you, because I think I have a sense of, like if I'm thinking about reclaiming my soul, I have a sense of that, what that means to me. But reclaiming my indigenous soul, I'm really not sure about that and what's different yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I think it just means values that were common to and are common to indigenous people, mm. um, which, which means a relationship, not just human relationship in community and in commerce, uh, and also, but also relationship to plants and animals, the food sources that sustain you. Um, as much as you can stop supporting industrialized agriculture and buy mm -hmm. from local suppliers. Um, and especially when it comes to industrial meat, to stop eating it. Um, it, it, it doesn't do you or the planet any good. It's, it's hugely inefficient and it's toxic for your body. And um, so limit, limit your consumption of that. And if possible, find meat that comes from local producers that are uh, farmed farmed um, sustainably and of course you know already that statement comes from a place of privilege that's assuming yes. that you're economically and geographically able to do that but to whatever degree you can pay attention to that and and do the best you can whoever you are wherever you live and i'm thinking of uh, people in the inner city people who are you know economically challenged and that that might not even be a possibility um, and yet to some degree we can make a small shift. That's also about, you know, taking a stand. I think your indigenous soul is that that allows you, that within you that allows you to honor the connection that you have with the earth, with land, the land you live on locally. You know, there's more and more urban gardening going on. Be part of that. Um, and with the values that, that allow you to know that you're you're connected stop stop in your tracks and empty yourself and be present to even a, a you know a pigeon in the city who perches on your windowsill just pause in silence and see if that pigeon has anything to say to you it may be a figment of your imagination or you may think it's so and maybe maybe not it's something else who knows but the act of becoming harmless in your openness to be with a, a plant that grows outside your house, a tree on the street, pigeon on your windowsill, that, that makes you one with indigenous people who spend their lives in such, um, I'll say the word humble again, in, in that kind of humility and receptivity. Um, and it's, it's natural to us, it's innate to us. How did we forget that we're connected? How did we forget that? It's a, it's a clever trick of um, classical thinking, organized religion, and industrialization of society. How did we fall, like I say, hook, line, and sinker for this ruse 
um, and to whose benefit not our own collectively not to anybody really individually and certainly not to not to us all collectively or to the earth mm. you I, said yeah. you, you said something there that is just like i don't know really landed for me and you said it so quickly and just kind of <laughs> brushed over it you said becoming harmless when you were talking yes. about the pigeon and yeah. that for me is like yeah that's what it's about I don't yeah. want to be part of the problem. I want to be yeah. part of the solution, maybe. Yeah. And so how I do that does take me to pay attention, to be more present, to look at the interconnectivity of my life and the systems that I'm participating in. So I love that. I do. I'll give it. Something else popped into my mind in terms of, of, of how to embody this, how to encapsulate, how to tap into the indigenous soul. And it's a practice I, I, I give to clients. Um, and I've had clients even who have been um, well known meditation teachers. And I, I'm happy to say that even for them, it was a powerful and paradigm shifting practice. And it's to spend five, 10, 20 minutes, an hour, every day, doing nothing at all. To sit outside, sit inside for that matter, but it's good to sit outside on your deck, on your porch, on your doorstep, um, and do nothing. Have a cup of tea, have a journal if you, if you must, but don't meditate, that's already a project. And just sit doing nothing at all daydream um just be not even daydream just be doing nothing uh, we've spent as a species we've spent so much time doing nothing you know bears only go to forage for food when they're hungry they don't need to be scouting out the land and saying oh there's some berries to eat here i'll come back later they just take a nap they do nothing and any any creature, um, plants, many of them do nothing through the winter. Maybe they grow some roots just because they do that, but they, they're not busy bringing forth fruit and flowers. They're just doing nothing. And to mimic what every species does for much of its time um, is probably another good way to, to tap into the indigenous soul, to do nothing. <laughs> I just yeah. uh, flashed into my head a quotation from a friend, Kaz Tanahashi, a poet, translator, and, and calligrapher um, in his 80s now. He said, you know, laziness is a hard job, but somebody has to do it. <laughs> Industrious people make industry. Lazy people make culture. And uh, I think it's true. It's true. Yeah. Because you sit doing nothing, what comes to you, and not you know, bright ideas for a new marketing strategy. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And maybe they will come if that's what your present work is all about. But ideas that you'd never normally think about in the busyness of your drivenness, driven by a sense of lack and wanting more. Because um, you're, you're sort of by implication, by your non-action, turning off the tap of lack and the desire for more. Yeah. That I feel sense. like you spoke that just for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I, I was thinking of you, Jane. <laughs> no, I was thinking of you, Jane. I know you well enough to know. 
how busy you make yourself and that it, you've su- your health your health has suffered on account of yeah. it yeah and no doubt other things too and of course by m- many most people's reckoning you're a very successful business yeah. owner it's true. so so and probably some people listening to this are much much more successful than than they would imagine yeah. and so what's the point? You're going to die one day. <laughs> and what are you doing? Rushing in your business toward death. So you, you have it all done. Now I can die. No, because you'll never have it done. And right. especially what you won't have done is your ability to sit yeah. and admire the beauty of the sky. Yeah. And I'm making my way there. For me, the sit is probably the most challenging thing. But one of the things that has changed with my move to Columbus is running. I now oh, nice. run and you see mentally then I'm doing nothing for yeah. an hour, up to an hour yeah. and maybe yeah. a bit longer sometimes. And yeah. I'm running on nature trails and yeah. I'm loving it. You'd be so proud of me. Last Saturday well, I was running over a bridge and I stopped mm. even though my, it was going to mess with my pace and my time. I stopped and I just sat on the bridge that's, that's so great because i was about to say why don't you stop during your run but yeah. you're already doing that St- stop more and for longer but running right. is so wonderful as a oh, practice and oh, you know amazing. you can jog and then you can sprint and then you can do some more but if you if you have some <laughs> measuring device on your wrist or on your ankle for all of this throw it away and just run yeah. and just run and stop and run yeah. some more yeah you know um in the, in the uh, Pueblo c- culture of, of New Mexico, um, running and in other, in other traditions and other nations and, and other communities, running is a big thing. And th- these are phenomenal runners. And it's probably changed over the past few generations, but that they would run distances at speeds that were beyond any records. And people tried to come there and time them and get new records but they wouldn't bother with the finish line. They'd run off somewhere else just before they got to the finish line with their friends. And some of them would wait for their friends because they weren't interested in setting a world record. They were just running as they, as they used to um, on the trail friends and they'd wait for a friend. They'd stop. And um, that, that now that's real running. (laughs) No, I'm totally with you. It is. And what's been most surprising is it's about, it's not about the running. It's about Mm. everything else exactly oh my gosh so you're already doing it the practice of <laughs> of sitting quietly doing nothing you're running quietly doing nothing yeah. yeah yeah i love it oh it's been such a joy talking to you but i have one final question yes which is if there's something you'd hoped we'd get to today you know something that you'd want to share with our listeners what might it be well first of all I, i'm so delighted that we've covered all that we've covered um and like like you said I, it, we have such great conversations and i had no idea where we'd be going what i had in my mind to to um to say and that's the that's the advantage of having conversations um well i, I think just to reiterate what i've already said spend spend time to uh, allow the silence to drop into you so that you remember who you are because you don't have to reclaim your indigenous soul. It's there already. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's nothing new. This, this is not some new innovation. This is simply to be who you are. And whoever you think you are, you're more than that. And I think, uh, I think that's something that I would like to end with. Whoever you think you are, you're more than that. And less than that. And everything in between. <laughs> 
<laughs> and everything in between. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. Oh, Kishona, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank really. you. Such a pleasure to talk with you. Oh, it really is. <laughs> yeah. Okay, guys, that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening in. Now, before we go, let me ask you if you are passionate about change. Are you maybe looking for a little more meaning and purpose in your life? And if you are, if our conversation has resonated with you today, I invite you to visit us at sacredchangemakers.com where you can sign up for our free five-day program called Awakening the Changemaker Within. That's our invitation to you to come home to yourself at your very core. Because we believe that within each of us lies that possibility to unleash the full realization of human potential. Change can be a regenerative force for good, and it all begins within as personal transformation, which can then be expressed within our professional lives and ultimately creates a regenerative social impact in our world. Again, you can find our free program at sacredchangemakers.com. Our growing network of Sacred Changemakers are actually our sponsors who help us keep doing our work in the world. So if our episode resonated with you today, we hope you'll consider joining us. And for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your intention and showing up today. Thank you for the work you do to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love.